Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The wait is finally over and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Greetings, slackers. I hope you are all good. I hope your jowls are filled with uh, very expensive gravy and coffee and it is spilling down your chin right now and you're just laughing to yourself maniacally going, yes, rubbing your hands together thinking another fine, beautiful, award-winning slacker podcast at my ears' fingertips. (laughs) Um, I've got a brand new uh, podcast studio at the moment, so anybody who was listening to the podcast last week and they heard a really tinny um, sounding introduction, it is because I haven't figured out completely how to use all of the settings on my microphones. I bought microphones, I've bought a portable little desk that I can bring with me because I plan on doing so much recording of podcasts um, for series three in autumn and winter this year. As the sun goes down, I come out with my backpack filled with leads and microphones and bits and pieces that I barely even know what to do with. All I know is that um, I've started um, putting some bids in um, for amazing guests for season three. So if you have any suggestions, please, please, please um, send them to me. A friend of mine sent me like five suggestions um, last week and all five of them I'd never even thought of. And I was like, wow, these are great. Um, so yeah, feel free to like send them to me or DM me on Twitter or Instagram. It's at Philly Taggart, P-H-I-L-Y-T-A-G-G-A-R-T. Don't um, at Phil Taggart because that poor guy gets sent tweets anytime I play anything on the radio. I, I'm kind of hoping that he just like, he just gives gives up on that um, Twitter handle, just like hands it over to me. Um Anyway, that's, that just seems to be a little bit mean on that Phil Taggart. He could be setting up his own podcast and it might completely wipe our eye. If you're fresh to the Slacker podcast and you've never listened to any um, before, there's a whole uh, wild universe out there of two series for you to go and listen to. This is the one with Lucy Rose, and we will get to her in just a second. If you enjoy Lucy Rose's music, then I think you might like the one that we recorded with Hosier which I think was in um, season one. Um, you might like that one. Um, you might like the Cribs one. Do you know what? There's like You'll have found where to get this podcast because you're listening to it right now. You can just like go back through the 28 or 29 um, episodes that there are out there. This is the penultimate episode of series two. We've only got one left to go. 
I th- I th- it was meant to be with um, Slaves and it was meant to come out next week, but that's not happening now. So it might be a week or two till you get the very last one of Series 2. Um, so what else have I got to tell you before we get into this podcast? Oh, yeah. Um, BBC Introducing Life is happening. If you make music and you play in a band or you're like in the industry in some sort of way or you're just interested about how it all works, there's a massive thing happening at the Tobacco Dock um, at the very beginning of November. And it's over three days. It's got experts from all around the world and all sorts of different um, bits and pieces, uh, facets of the music industry from, say, like, you know, how you get your music put on like a TV show all the way to how to go play festivals, how to do this, how to do that, um, looking after your mental health. And there's loads of performances um, and like all the music companies come down and there's loads of like, I think there's like, like last year I saw a couple of freebies being handed out here and there. And it was just good fun as well because there's loads of people who are like-minded, um, all in the same place, playing music, learning about music. And it happens over three days. You can buy tickets on the link that I'll give below. And basically everything that I've just said on that, I've written a book about it. It's called The Slacker's Guide to the Music Industry. And it took me a couple of years to write. And it is basically the guide that you need if you're starting out in music. I, I wrote it with the idea of it being in somebody's keyboard uh, case, somebody's guitar case, lying at the back of the practice room. It's 20 chapters long and you can buy it from com, or you can buy it from Amazon as well. I've been getting everybody to get it from my own website, but I think some people should buy it from Amazon now because I really I really should have got like more people to review it on there. I was like so hell-bent and just saying, you know what, Jeff Bezos, you're not getting my 10%. And then I was thinking, you know, I probably should have done that because the review system actually kind of works on it. Anyway, this is really boring for you because you've just tuned in and you want to hear Lucy Rose and me chat about her first ever demo. The track um, will be Middle of the Bed, which is taken from her very, very first album, which is called Like I Used To, which came out in 2012. Uh, Lucy Rose is a wonderful human being, a wonderful songwriter. And just incredibly interesting to sit down and, and speak with um, for roughly around an hour. Uh, it was the first podcast that I recorded in my house in Brighton. Um, I think Lucy's just moved to Brighton as well. And yeah, it was it was really fun. I think we spent pretty much the most, the first like 15, 20 minutes before we even switched the microphones on trying to figure out like whether I had parking permits or anything. <laughs> so yeah, it got really interesting. Very adult, very, very rock and roll. Yeah, we were like drinking whiskey through our eyeballs. Or we just drank like a cup of tea and spat lyrical. It's not even words, is it? Spat lyrical. Um, about her music and her career. Here we go. Our penultimate episode of Series 2 of the Slacker podcast. This is Lucy Rose in three, two, one. This is the Slacker podcast and you've got myself, Phil Taggart, and we've got Lucy Rose. Hello. Hi. This is really weird because um, we're recording this in my, my kitchen. I've, I've never recorded in the house before. It's lovely. Thanks very much. It's very Do you nice. like my, my um, Guinness painting? I'm obsessed with Guinness and cocktail sausages and you put them That's together. That's absolutely perfect. Put it up in, in the kitchen. So what's, what's going on? How are you doing? What's, what's happening? Yeah, I just, well, I landed from Canada yesterday. It was quite a traumatic flight because it was 10 hours on a plane with no TVs and no food for, for 10 hours. Oh my God. Hold on, I'm going to close this door because I can hear the wind on the microphone. What do you do on a flight for, for 10 hours? Without, well, we de- well, they told us at check-in. We were just like curious about the type of plane it was because it was a thing we'd never heard of. Um, and they, they sort of, yeah, they said no TVs. It was built in the same year that I was born. It was 1989, 30-year-old plane. And it all still had all the ashtrays in it. It was super weird. Did you just buy, buy a load of cigarettes at duty free and just spark up, yeah. sm- smoke the you whole way. You should be allowed home. to if it's that old. You should be allowed to. Um, but yeah, it was pretty grim to be honest. Like really grim. I did. So a, that's it. I, I did a flight home from Thailand in was it 2013 or 2014? Whenever Ebola was like the big the big one. Mm-hmm. Remember everybody was talking about Ebola. It, it like mm-hmm. yeah, it was just kicking off around that stage. And I'd done two weeks in Thailand with my my wife and a couple of friends and I'd booked out at a different time so I was coming home by myself and when I got to the airport 
I like noticed this massive rash coming up my arm, and I freaked the fuck out. Oh, hell. oh my god! Genuinely thought like I'm a hypochondriac at the best of times. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'd convinced myself that I'd got Ebola. So I put a jumper on, went to the the bar, and sunk three whiskeys in a row to steady myself. Got on the <laughs> got on the plane and just sat and there. And were you fine? Was it just a rash? It, yeah, I think it was like I had to I had to take two weeks off work. It was some sort of virus or something. But there was like a, a little lady right beside me who had one of those like surgical masks on, and she was coughing like <laughs> the I whole way home. That was the worst flight I've ever had. Like, there's always one. This one was a little bit like engine failure. We like boarded twice, and then the weight was wrong because they were trying to make money from putting cargo on, but they were like unsure of how to pack it in a way that the flight made the plane like stable this is what they told us are you like that's too much information yeah they were like and then they're like and we've got to be really careful because we're flying over a lot of water so (laughs) it's like okay i'm glad we're being extra careful today yeah it was just like grim everything they told us was grim so we start every podcast with a with a demo but you just had to be a little bit difficult, didn't you? You were like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not giving you a demo because you don't demo, don't, do you? Well, I do demos, but I don't keep anything. Like, do you not keep all that stuff for B sides nope. and and rarities and all that? Nope. How are you going to bluster up your album in like ten years' time when you've got to go sell it again? It's fine. That's the, this whole point is like you can't do that. Yeah, I, I never know if that's actually a good idea. Really, to start putting out <clears throat> old things. From twenty years ago, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's a, weren't good enough at the time, and now are slightly good enough to put out. I just don't. F- I feel like it's like seeing all of the like bad promo photos that you don't want anyone to see. Like that's just the way mm. I see it. I don't. I feel like <clears throat> with a lot of old stuff, I don't keep anything. You know, like my husband's really different. He'll keep like all the lanyards from every festival we do. I just like all of it freaks me out. Yeah, it's like clutter. And the same on my computer, it's just like all becomes too much. I almost, my inbox, I pretty much just like delete everything in it every six months because the thought of having like thousands of emails is too, is if way I, too if much. If I showed you my promo email address, you'd probably have like no, a No, yeah, you just, I think just delete the whole account. That's yeah. where I would be at with it <laughs> at a certain point. I don't really keep... If you look at artists anything. like Jimi Hendrix, right? Like, or even... Jimmy, yeah, Jimi Hendrix is a, is a good example. Didn't record that many albums, but how many records has he got out? Like, lot, there's a million live ones. There's mm-hmm. like so many demos. And like, I remember the Smiths had a song that had the lyrics reissue, reissue, repackage. It's just like record labels trying to coin in, isn't it? Or estates trying to coin. I in. think there's some people. Obviously, it's great. Like this, I find it like fascinating to hear how things have developed, and you can hear like, oh, this is where it was. But for me, it's like I just think it's just so exposing. And listening back to myself, I don't even know if I would have demoed anything. I just think I just played songs and played them live. And that was it. I don't think I spent a lot of time demoing anything or, or, or do you, stuff. Do you like live albums? Yeah. I don't, I don't like live albums. I like Neil, I'm either there like or I'm not. Neil Young's live record. I think that's the only one that I listen to. The only one that I, I don't give live albums much of a chance. Because I, the way I feel about it is you're either there or, or you're not. The only one I do like is, obviously, I like the two big, two big ones. For being a teenage boy, the Metallica S&M one was mm-hmm. incredible. And uh, the band. Nice. Yeah. I just think you have to love an artist a lot, a lot, a lot. And, then, and at that point, when you're the favourite thing in the world, like Neil Young or Joni Mitchell is like my favourite artist in the world then I want it all. Mm. And it's all amazing and it's all great. Um, you listen to his rarities and demos and stuff. Yeah, I would, yeah, yeah. definitely. But see, somebody might feel like that about your, your stuff too. Yeah, I guess I just don't have the confidence that that's the case. Mm. I feel like nowadays I'm trying to get my records out into the world and people to have time to do it. It feels like it's just it's a weird time, you know, because like, I, I absolutely love streaming and everything, but when everything's on the end of your of your finger tick and you're, you're sort of just going down your screen, what makes someone put on my record over, like, the thousands and thousands of other records that there are out there, I feel like baffles me, somebody, really. Somebody referred to, um, when I was doing an interview for the lovely book that you were a part of, the Slacker's Guide to the Music Industry, um, and they referred to streaming as, like, gas pumped into your house. 
<laughs> and I was like, it's really good. It does, that does feel like what it is. I do have, I'm actually kind of lying about whether I have demos. I do. I do have demos. <laughs> I just don't like technology and they're on a hard drive that I am incapable of working. So it's like when my computer, you know, when your computer just combusts at a certain time because it's so old. Yeah. When it combusts, I took it to Apple and said it's combusted, really, it's exploded. Could you just put everything on a hard drive? And I'm going to buy a new one, pretty much. Which they did. But I've never been brave enough to open the hard drive. <laughs> That's going to be really fun, though. It's going to be like a time capsule when you and open I've it. And I actually feel like I've lost the hard drive as well. It's somewhere, but I have no idea where it is. Oh, my God, that's so stressful. <laughs> and I feel okay about it. I actually feel probably less stressed that I don't know where it is. Fair enough. You should just throw it into the sea. Get ruined. Yeah, most probably. <laughs> let's let's play this track though. This is um, "Middle of the Bed" from your first album, which came out in two thousand and twelve, and was like we'll, t- we'll talk a little bit about it after, but we'll listen to it first. I sleep in the middle of the bed. You don't know is it fine to hold my hand? I sleep in the middle of the bed. Sand slips through my cold hand. Do you really want me back? Do you really want me back? That was Lucy Rose and Middle of the Bed, taken from Like I Used To, um, which came out in 2012. Is that the is that one of the first songs you ever wrote? Yeah, it's up there. And, and, well, probably not actually. There was like a big bunch of songs that I wrote at the beginning that were all terrible. That was the first one I wrote that was, I think, decent within the first few of them. But yeah, I wrote a lot of songs before then. How did um, you How did you know that that one was like a step up, like a level up? I don't know if I did at the time, really. Mm. Um, I think I started playing things live. That always makes a difference to see people's reactions to to stuff live at like little open mics. Like, oh, that one was really good that you played, you know. And then you get a few more comments about that and feel a bit better about the song. And do you, do you almost need that sort of that? hype like the validation of, of people going that's that's actually a good one do you need that like when you're when you're starting out and you're writing yeah i think i need that all the time yeah to be honest like who's who's your hype, hype man or woman um i don't know i mean it can be anybody really i'm not yeah. that picky to be honest like i feel like if anybody that is connected to something or enjoyed something i've done um it makes a big difference to how i feel about it all I find it very difficult to look back on anything and feel really proud of anything that I've done. It feels like way uh, too close and I don't know, it's just weird really. Is it not like, is there not enough gap between 2019 and 2012 that you can kind of almost look back on it and think... I think it makes it worse. Really? Mm. Do you not think it, it, like, it almost feels like you're a different person? Because like, what's that, seven years? So like you would have been 22? Yeah, I just think it just feel like, oh... I can't listen to it without hearing all the mistakes and the faults in it. Can you like like? Cause I, I like I, I mean, the layman's ear that I have picks up nothing. Like on the little bit that we just heard. Like, well, I just think is it guitar? My... Is it guitar slides? Is it is it vocal? No, I just tuning? it's mainly vocal stuff. I just think, God, I sound so young then. And but that's quite that's that's part part of it, isn't it? Hmm. I just, yeah, it's really, maybe I think I might need to be like 100 years old to feel like, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. At the moment, it's just like, to, I can't feel like that. I mean, it's really difficult to listen back to anything and really. Does does that make it diff- difficult when you come to like mixing an album or you Oh, at the time I always feel okay about it. Yeah. You know, I feel like at every point until the day it's released, I feel okay about it. And then it's released into the world and then at that point... I let go of having any sort of opinion on it, really. It's not yours anymore then? It's not mine. And um, I know that at that moment in time, I've done the best I can. Mm-hmm. I've not ever, don't feel like I would have ever not given it 100% of my thought and attention on like every single part of the record. So at that point, I feel good about it. And But looking back, you wonder like, oh, I wonder why I did did that. And I wonder why I sang it like that. I wonder why my accent was like that or why you know all the different things that you think about Mm -hmm. it's really difficult it's like 
I don't know. I don't know if anyone really like. I w- would hope that you could look back at old photos of yourself and love them. I feel like we've reached an age where, when we look back at like baby photos or like when we're like three and four, you know, like people using it for like EP shots and things like that. Yeah, that's very, and, like, very you know common. I mean? It's yeah. like, oh, it's actually, it's like, oh, look, that's. I feel nostalgic about that. Uh-huh. But I don't think anyone would use like a photo that was like seven years old. I feel like I'm at that point with it. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? You yeah, wouldn't yeah. just choose like a seven-year-old photo, like as in like seven years ago where I'm 18 for my new EP shot. Maybe would you that will, be really random? Maybe you will when you're older. My, my mom... Yeah, maybe it has to be like the big enough gap. That's uh, what I'm saying. It doesn't make sense. Otherwise. My mom has a, like a, a photo of herself um, that she has on the fridge um, from when she was about 30, maybe, like like late 20s, mm-hmm. um, simply because like she's like, right, I want to get, get back to that sort of, um, you know, that, that, that physique. And, and I'm just like, that's crazy. But like maybe maybe that's the sort of distance that you need to, to give. Like does it need to be like 30 years? Does yeah, it need I to think be... potentially it needs to be like yeah. 20, 30 years for you to like look back at yourself and enjoy what you see in a way, in, uh-huh. in any way. If I look back at photos of myself when I was like 19 or first started releasing this sort of stuff when I was 20, it's exactly the same thing. It's like, why am I wearing those purple jeans? You know, it's like, <laughs> it feels almost identical. So when, when you like, um, when, when you started off like in, like you know, with, with music, like the, can you remember like the first track that you remember hearing in your house? Was it a musical household that you came from? No, not at all. Um... I remember, I think we were just very normal when it came to music. We listened to the Whatever's radio on. to school, yeah. We were very influenced by, you know, we'd fight between my mum wanted to listen to Radio 2 and we wanted to listen to Radio 1 and we'd argue about that and split the time. And um, that was all the real music that I heard, particularly was just on the way to school and back. And then when it was started, you know, HMV became a thing, you can go and buy CDs, like... Mm. I was, again, just really influenced by my friends, really, what my friends were listening to. So what, what sort of stuff were you, were you, like, listening to? Like, when you were... What were the first sort of CDs that you Honestly, were buying? No, be honest about it, because I'll, I'll be terror, honest. Terror, it's so funny. I'll, I'll be honest about like it. Like, at the time, like, Green Day was massive. Yeah, Green Day is still great. Um, like, I remember having, like, a Papa Roach CD, <gasps> which is so We would have got on so well. Yeah, I was like, cool. We're, we're, I'm sure I was cool in, what, in being, like, on point with taste. But that, that period of time was, like... Papa Roach, Limp Biscuit, Green Day. We were into the same sort of stuff. Like it, it's very, it's very hard to look <laughs> back at the sort of new metal phase and be proud of it. Like I, I feel like in in like I'm obsessed with tribes and and movements and you know you look back at new romantics and punks and skinheads and the hip hop culture and all the rest of it. And sometimes I just get a little bit deflated to think that, you know, in my prime, mine was new metal and new rave, which are like two of the shittest movements of all time. <laughs> it's very hard to be like... <laughs> Did you know what I mean? It's not exactly... look back at it really fondly, even though they were grey at the time. I mean, I didn't even know if I was in a move... Like, you know what I mean? When you're listening... I was you so... You don't know it at the time, I didn't no. even know what, like, music culture was or... Did you have a anything. wallet chain? A what? Did you have a wallet chain? A chain oh, that goes yeah. from, your, from your wallet to, into my onto my jeans onto your jeans. Yes, I did. Did I, you have a studded belt as well? I don't. I probably. I remember trying to start skateboarding at a period of time when I was like twelve or thirteen. Yeah, that's about when I started too. Yeah, like I'm gonna be. A, I'm gonna start skateboarding. I mean, like all of that sort of Avril Lavigne was coming out as well at the same yeah. time. That was the first concert I went to. Avril Lavigne. It was Avril Lavigne. Yeah. You in like, Birmingham? Yeah. Full on skater boy. Yeah, definitely. Like. Had the like beanie hats, you know, like baggy trousers. I think was it like Et- Etnies? Et- what are those? Yeah, trainers? yeah, Etnies, DCs, Etnies, DCs. They were in. You're buying all your stuff from Roller Snakes magazine, probably. I mean, it's so bad because it feels like I have nothing to relate to that that time. No, no, me, like, you know me, what I mean? It's I'm so weird. St- I'm still into like quasi aggressive music, but like I, I, I quite like I quite like heavy music. I mean, that, I just, that's just, I have nothing that I could say was part of me within that. I was just like very, I felt like as a child was just, or a teenager, I was just a sheep. But that, I think that's fine. I think I, I was know, the yeah, same. It was totally normal, but it was just, I wasn't like one of those people who just was like, you know, uber like, you know, I guess when you do come from like a really musical background and you've got like 
but you know the the education of what it all means and those sort of things and then you can be like carve your own path like I was so late on before I started like carving carving my own identity in my own path it took me like a really really long time to yeah do that. I don't I don't feel like I came into myself until about 22 23 24 really if, if I'm being honest about it. it it's a good thing maybe you didn't have a guitar um or you didn't start playing like Papa Roach stuff at that that age I know, but, but, yeah. because like this could be a very different different conversation well I feel like when I first started playing guitar I was like 15 I think I, I saved up or oh, 16 I got one and taught myself, and I was still in that phase, but coming out of it, it was like the first songs that, that I ever learned to play was um, Iris, Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, that's that a was classic. When it first came out, and yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is like emotional. I'm going to I'm gonna get real stuck into this. <laughs> um, did you do Zombie as well? No, zombie. I just did the one. That was the only cover I'd, I've really like done, until, and that just taught me some chords, and it was in an odd tuning, which is really why I've written nearly all my songs in different tunings, not standard. And, um, so you weren't, you didn't like, you don't have a litany of covers that you can sort of rely on. Like, no, you know, when covers I, are just like really a, a, one of the bane's of my life. But if I if I picked up that guitar now, there's there's a anything. certain amount of riffs that I've got in my head that I learnt when I was maybe seventeen. No, nope. like Black Dog by Led Zeppelin would be like maybe the first one that I would go to. No, so, no, I just, don't have anything. You're I, like, I, I don't respect it, p- other people to cover them, their stuff. I'm just doing my own. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I just had a point, like a, in your when you're in your head, of remembering things. You know, when the cabinets are full and everyone talks about every time you fill up a new cabinet, some stuff is lost. Yeah, and I feel like with lyrics, I know I've only got four records, but with lyrics and chords and my own songs, that takes up like a big part of my cabinet section of what I can remember. Yeah, and. With covers, I think potentially because I don't ever really, you know, I feel like some people like adore their music and really, I find that very difficult to have that sort of opinion about me and my music. Mm. And But when it's mine, it's mine. Yeah. But if I'm covering someone, I just would just be my worst critic. Like, that's just a terrible version of a great song. So, you, so I just would feel like I can't do that. When, but like around 2012, you were with a major record label and that was exactly the same time that it was really popular to take a massive song and half speed it you know the john lewis ads and stuff like that surely your record label was probably coming to you going would you do this for this ad would you do that because like surely they would have been trying to commercialize well i guess so i mean at every point i remember when kate nash became the thing and i was like doing open mics and stuff at the time and kate nash became really big and then it then another something else became really big and it was like oh you've missed your moment that was like your window was like that whole Kate Nash world and all this stuff. And yeah. that went and, you know, it just disappeared. And, I, and then I just, someone says that, and I just saw that's just the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard because why is there only like a fashionable time for a certain type of music to come out? I think when I, before, my first record obviously came out in 2012, but before then I'd been doing gigs for a long, long time and been, you know, touring, supporting Bombay Bicycle Club for like two or three years or two years and, and um, in a nutshell, at that first record, no one really um, pushed me around too much at the label. But at the end of it, yeah, there was, can you go for the John Lewis adverts? And can you go for this? And there was often like a demo fee with those sort of things, mm. where they'll pay you like 500 quid or something to demo something. And then you yeah. you kind of go in your head like, well, take me half a day. I mean, I can make 500 quid, which would be amazing. Yeah. So you do it. Um, it's like any any breakdown of any relationship. I don't think you realise at the time how unhappy you are. You know, you really don't. You just keep on going. You keep going and you yeah. keep trying to make it work. And you keep... Because, you know, at the beginning of things, it was like a dream come true. Like being signed and, you know, there was everything I'd like aspired to be. But that's what, that's what all musicians want to exactly. do at the start. So, somebody to, <clears throat> to work with them and... Someone believes in you. It's yeah. like who's important. When, you, when you've got A&Rs trying to sign you, it is like a sort of you kind of do fall in love with, you know, a person and you go, this person really gets me and they believe did, me and it feels really like a lot. Did you have a lot of labels coming after you, like people asking you to sign to their label? Like, was there a lot of whining and dining and going, Lucy, we, re- we really understand you, it's a great vibe and... Yeah, I mean, you get other. all of it. Like, I mean, with my publisher, I remember there was, I had a few publishers. At, well, there was one point in time where it just, like happened you know and I'd been turned down or no one was interested in me for five years or something and then suddenly 
yeah, like people turning up to my gigs with like really expensive bottles of champagne, you know, like, <laughs> like I did. I just think this is hilarious because like this is what like you know, people who are so out of touch with young people think, think that they will impress young people. It's like your, like your uncle coming, yeah, exactly. And champagne, it's all a bit creepy, like you know. And I remember, and it, this, yeah, I got a, and it, my publishing. The person that kept like coming and and wanting to sign me, really nice guy, but and and they're just doing what they think is the right thing, and and I guess most people are impressed with it with champagne and those sort of things. And then I think the week after I signed to them, he got fired, and nobody picked me up as something that they wanted to work on. Yeah. And then a year later, I was dropped. So, so like, it's just it's just the classic classic story that we've heard a million times. Yeah. Somebody somebody signs you up, gets the boot. And because the turnover at those places is ridiculously high as well. Yeah, it's interesting. But at that point, when the end of the second record, and then when I came back from Latin America after doing that trip, I did just have a real, you know, I was like, I want to make a record, which most probably, 100%, I can guarantee no one at radio is going to want to play. Like, this is, I'm not making a radio record. I'm not making singles on this record. I'm it's gonna... funny because those are, those are normally the records that radio does play. It's yeah, normally, sometimes. It's normally the ones that... I mean, like for me, I can spot it a mile away, like bands, artists that are making an album and you can just tell that they really want it to be commercial and they want it to be really successful and that almost ruins it. And you're just a little bit like, I don't want to play it. (laughs) I mean, I can say like that record, like, I think we got a little bit of radio play, but not really, Mm. you know, like um, compared to my other ones. Mm. And I think... Yeah, I do. There's obviously a moment where you do start, you don't realise it, but you're writing music for different reasons. I mean, I just, I don't feel like I could judge any artist because I've been there. So it's from being there and understanding the pressures. And also what you what you get told is good. It's like, obviously you think it being played on radio and it being commercial and people liking it. There's still a lot of people I know, artists, who still go, yeah, what's wrong with that? You know, I want lots of people to be happy and enjoy yeah, my music. Yeah. I don't really see what the big sin is here. And I think I just the whole point is just to, for no one to judge anybody, whatever path they decide to take. Um, the judge, the judgment part of it is what's I think can sometimes be the, um, I guess, the thing that can ruin things irrelevant to Because I do respect everyone for their own choices musically. And there's enough going on of different things. What about those people that just have a good voice but can't write songs? Yeah, I don't... Like like those people that have all the songs written for them and they're just like sort of a a pop star. Can you you get on with that? Yeah, I think I can. Because I feel like there's a lot of music snobbery generally in the world of people going, that person doesn't deserve to be there. And, you know, there's a load of people that, you know, you meet every day who are in bands who are brilliant but it just kind of like allowed that part of the industry to like make them so bitter yeah that they don't even concentrate on what they're doing anymore it's just all about like who these people at the end of the day if if like i don't know who's an example of someone who little mix or something say they don't write their songs i don't know if this is even factual i have no idea however if there's like people that little mix are making happy it doesn't matter yeah right Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Like, if if people we if there's people listen to a Little Mix song who go, my day feels better now, or I felt really down this morning and now I've just put that song on and I feel better, I really don't care who's written it. Like, that's the whole point. And I do think, like, there's no real place for music snobbery of, like, who wrote what. I think people just need to concentrate on their own paths. To be fair, if you're, if you're into authenticity and credibility, then the likelihood of you listening to Little Mix is probably next to zero anyway. So, like... Well, it's the like same there's, as there's, everything. There's, like a, there's like, a space for both, isn't there? Hundred percent. And it's just—I mean, I don't think people owe anything to anybody. You know what I mean? Like it's the same as like politics or being well-read about everything. We're all so obsessed with knowing everything about everything and being super well-read and all of those things. It's like, you know, do I need somebody to know everything about the music industry and be like, oh, should I listen to this because of all of these different factors, whether they're like sincere or authentic and stuff it's like it's not your job to do that don't worry about it i think there's a there's, you know like there's there's a real um moment in time over the last like five years where people are talking with gusto about stuff they only know half about mm. like there's a i find that like a lot like definitely in the music industry like definitely when i was like um, like writing writing that book but what do people uh, have gusto about? But I just think, I think it's like, I think it's Twitter. I think like um, it's Instagram and social media. It's like, if you have a conversation with somebody, it's it's all very reasonable and stuff. But people will go find one article, take a little bit out of it and then like start slamming at home going, this is exactly how I feel and exactly what I think, but I haven't done any reading around it. Yeah, Every, right. Everybody's very confident in the, the... I mean, obviously you all have your own opinions deep down, but I just don't know what makes people think that they're valid. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's sort of thing. Like, I've got, like, loads of opinions of, like, music I think is better and I think is, you know, more credible and authentic and all of those things that are important to me. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that I think that my opinion should be agreed on by every single person in the world. Like, I don't I don't think that's realistic and I don't want to drill it home until everyone does that because then it would be quite boring. Like, that sounds... So, you know... So what you're saying is you're going to be the next Katie Hopkins of, of, of music you're going to... <laughs> oh, <be>. Jesus <laughs> Christ. No, I just... I just... It's, it's difficult. You see, like, you know, there's lots of... Like, I love... You know, Jake Bug's brilliant, but he had a big issue, you know, early on, didn't he, with like One Direction co-writing, and I remember him like saying a load of things about how he thought it was there were oh, yeah, true yeah. musicians and all of that. He those did a things. lot of co-writes, and then yeah, like two records later, it's like he'd done loads of. The wait is finally over, and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out, and away we go. Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports, and BT Sport together, and all without a contract. What a fantastic part! So whether there's a day, week. Or a whole month of action you just can't miss. You can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Co-writes. And it's just like, there's nothing wrong with that either. Do you, co- do you co-write with people? Never. Never? Never. Every single song. Have you ever like, uh, I'm sure... I've had to do one. I'm sure I've you've had, to, had to go one. in and do sessions. That was again another turning point, the breakdown of the relationship. I think my label at the time were like, your band's a bit old and uncool and we need them to be really cool and young looking and it's important that the session band like look good. You're like, okay, I'll just go sack my friends. And I, yeah, and I was like, these are like my best mates who've been with me from the start. There's no way that's happening. Um, and it was like, well, well you've either <laughs> got to you, do a co-write with somebody. Did you tell, try it. Did you tell them that the label had said that? No. Do they know? Do they know? I mean, they're, they're not stupid. Like, the label probably made them feel shit all the time. Like, yeah. I don't really know. It's such a long time ago. Um, I think there's a point where God, I was like, really guys, now. can you maybe not wear, like, wife beaters on stage or something? You know, that's, like... That's, but a, then, that's a vest for yeah. anybody who's listening. Yeah, in. a vest or something. But then you're like, why? If they want to wear a vest, you know, in hindsight, that's some of my biggest regrets is even letting any of that infiltrate me into me going, do you think you could just, like, you know, tone it down and not wear... It's like, that's so... That's one of my biggest regrets, honestly. 
And in the end, I had to do one co-write. It was like, either we're getting a new band or you've got to do this one co-write. So I was like, fine, I'm going to go do this co-write and make this person's life misery for a day, whoever the person <laughs> I'm in this room with. And I think it was worse for them. They just were like, at one point, they're like, why are you here? It's like, I don't want, I don't know, because I've been blackmailed. That's why I'm here. So it was just a terrible day. It was terrible, 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 terrible day for that poor, poor person. I've, I've um, seen, I've seen artists. I've seen artists on, on my label going into like a, a co-writer two at mm-hmm. the very very beginning and come out going why what like and they've never done it again afterwards they've just been like that was like a therapy session like that wasn't that wasn't a co-write. I mean, it's really I don't. It's really I find for me it was it's a very depressing thing. The thought, all of it, the thought of going and telling a stranger all these things about myself, like the person I did one was with. Oh, you've got open up more. Like Ellie Golding was in here last week and she told me that like. She was kissing like two different boys at the same time and really didn't know what to do. And we wrote this great song about it. And I was just like, um, no, no, <laughs> this is no, I don't feel. And also it was all like deep on like the most shallow sense of the word. It's like if you genuinely wanted to talk about like something it's really deep, but you're like, this is an important issue to me with like the multiple layers of, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they'll just be like, yeah, that's not going to really work. Do you think we could just like simplify it? So it's just like. You know, you had a bad day, but a cup of tea made you feel a bit better. You know what I mean? And we'll just write about that. It's like, what? Yeah, but the we'll hell? change we'll change tea to like a woman, and they'll just and be we'll like, change the day to heartbreak. Exactly, and it was just like they had pages of like words, like title words, like hurricane, or like you know, like big words that we can use to describe feelings in a way that you've not heard before, but in like really terrible it's like a metaphor and a metaphor and a metaphor sitting there of with like a thesaurus. Yeah, and it's just like this is terrible. I mean, that was depressing. And it's also, I've done a few, like, with my publisher being like, can you write for other people where the tables are turned at this point later on? Because I've written these songs on my own and, and now it's like the odd person is like, thinks they're okay and would want to do a co-writing session with me for them. But then that's kind of depressing as well because it'd be like, okay, I wrote, I heard this song on Radio 1 the other day and it had this, like, really cool beat, so maybe we'll start from that. Like, people who have done so many sessions now I don't know if they really know how to like genuinely from their soul write a song write a tune yeah you know and it's like that's that's completely disappeared from great like great musicians who are young talents just been done so many sessions I don't think it's just gone the, really. the, the last two years um specifically like mainstream music has all been the mm. That's like like, the reggaeton, like boom, yeah, da, da, mm, yeah. Da, da. So the, everything's <clears throat> got that on at the moment. Everything has had that for yeah. for I'd say about eighteen months, two years, and then I was spying indie bands coming out with tracks that have, and I'm like Shut that. Up. That is the least indie or rock or I, I mean, like I don't want to pigeonhole a band to saying that they can't express themselves. Like, like that's that's stupid. Considering one of my favorite bands in the whole wide world is the Clash, who mm-hmm. jumped into to reggae and beat poetry and and like you know uh, Latin music. But when it when you're just jumping on board the cynical beat train, do you know what I mean? It's like do you remember when like EDM was a thing like a couple of years ago? Yeah, every everything had that rise in it, like in pop music. I just, I think for, for young bands, there's nothing more exciting when someone, because I remember people saying, who, who's your biggest influence? Who influences you? And you remember being like, don't know, really. Satan. Like, yeah, you just don't, when it's like, when you've discovered your own thing and you don't feel like it, you know, in that way. So when there's like young bands are like, I really can't think of who it is. Then that's like, I genuinely am most excited when I hear that. Because mm. as soon as someone goes, oh yeah well this person and this person then you kind of feel like there's a chance that they've listened to songs and like started off their own writing from an idea like the amount of stories I've heard of people going like oh I love this song what can I take from this as a starting point for my own song and that's just the opposite again of what I'm interested in somebody said to me that the best artists are the ones that are really bad at copying other artists yeah, he's, he can't copy anybody. So they might like, might sit down and go, oh, like I really like this sound, I'll try and do it. And then they do it and their own, complete own sound comes out. Yeah. I, I understand that. Um, so getting back getting back to the start, actually, I want to talk about this, the, the first few gigs because we talked about it in the book a little bit. I thought it was really interesting. Um, your first show was in London, wasn't it? It was like an open mic night. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
how, like obviously when we talked about it you, you told me that you were like really shy and it was really difficult for you to get on stage how did you go about that I took a couple shots yeah <laughs> I did two my sisters came and we did a shot sister support of whiskey each and um I'm not saying that that has to be, like that's a good advice for anybody that's listening to this like oh my god I've got no good advice for anybody <laughs> that's just like a disclaimer of this whole podcast and my life going forward these are just my opinions and none of it is to be taken as advice <laughs> and I'd never used a microphone before so that was a really weird sensation hearing my voice amplified for the first time and using a mic it was I, I found it really funny I've been to like loads of open mic nights and when you you can tell when somebody's quite nervous and they're getting up and they, they sort of plug the guitar in they're sort of awkwardly tuning it they're very silent and then they start singing because they've never sung into a, a mic before and they're either way too loud mm-hmm. or they're just like you know, so like, far away mm. yeah yeah you got a lot to learn from those sort of things I mean for me I did I've seen some people who've Recently in Mexico City, I had a friend support me and it was his first ever gig. He was super nervous and he got up and it just, it looked like he'd just been doing it for 20 years. It was just amazing. One of the most exciting things I'd seen in so long. It's like a duck to water. Some people just get there faster, yeah, don't they? Yeah, 100%. And for me, it was like a long, long process of a lot of open mics and a lot of like, sort of re-education within music as well. For me, what's what's it like going and playing those open mics? Like, like we, where were you doing them? Were they like all across London? You just sort of like running about the tube on your. Yeah, I had a job at Caramillan working in the shop, and then in the evening I would just yeah get on the tube, work my way around London, wherever whatever pub had an open mic, go put my name down, sit down, you know, grab a sandwich from a Sainsbury's and sit and have a drink and wait for my turn. Did that every night for like probably a year and a half. Wow, like you, that's that's like earning your stripes there. Yeah, yeah, big time. And like you just moved to London as well around yeah. that period as well. So like obviously you probably made a lot of friends from, no. from doing that. No, is there not people on the um, circuit? Like would there not be other people similar to you doing that? Did I make friends? No, I can't. I don't think I have. They were the competition. No, it was like a lot of men. There was a lot of men at these open mics. Rarely saw another girl doing it. Um, what sort of stuff were they singing? There's a lot of like old men, you know, yeah. at the, a lot of the open mics. I mean, I started on one of the guys who was really nice. We started doing like a book club. He'd give me a book to read every week and every Tuesday I'd come back and have read it. And that That's was very wholesome, nice isn't it? for a while, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of people that I'd done seen at open mics which did become friends like Simba who played bass with me I love Simba I've he met him the, a few times he's yeah, lovely he like um <clears throat> he's one of my best mates now but he was the person who did that very first open mic he was the sound engineer so yeah I did meet friends from it I'm just remembering all of the weird people that put on like Robbie Williams karaoke soundtracks and sang along to angels that's what I'm remembering <laughs> like no I don't think I became friends with them um but yeah no I did yeah like um, I mean Open mics can be enjoyable places, but like, I mean, when any open mic night that I go to, I think I've genuinely been in the minority because I'm not getting up to play. Mm. It, it's normally a room full of people that are getting up to play. It's very rare. 100%. It's very, like, I mean, must be like 80, 20 people playing. To I did one recently hunters. just before Union Chapel, this beginning of this year. Um and yeah exactly the whole room was just full of people waiting for their turn mm. really to play it's the same, yeah it's the same with comedy you see, like you see all these like sort of comedians kind of looking at their I was in New York once at the open mic night thing and you could just see, see all like the list of like, comedians that are like you know reading their bit and trying to figure it all out and then getting up to do it and you're like well there's no actual fans here but the thing is it's it's a great place to to sort of earn, uh, learn your craft, really, isn't it? Would you suggest it to, like, somebody who's starting out now? Each their own. Yeah? You know, it was my path, but um, I know there's some bands where they just wouldn't work for them to do that sort of thing. Um, they'd prefer just to probably just play every night as a band in their, you know, backyard or whatever than go to open mics. It's, again, it's... There's tons of them in London. I mean, I, don't, I really, yeah, I wouldn't be able to say whether it's... A great thing to do or not but I think it makes you made me appreciate um having you know my own show and my own fans for the first time a lot 
like after doing it for so long the reason I did it before Union Chapel was because it was my first big gig in London I'd done for a few years so I was just really almost almost dreading it really you know it's in this thing like oh it's in six weeks oh god it's in five weeks oh shit it's in four weeks and it just you need to get road ready it was yeah and it was sort of like I was not enjoying any of time because I was so anxious about this tour starting in Union Chapel and what if I sing badly and what if I forget my words what if the whole show ends up being just crap and I can just, you not get like, over that by the stage having played so many gigs like surely like no I was really like struggling and then I was like I'm gonna go do an open mic if I get maybe a few open mics under my belt live performances maybe my nerves will be better because it was just all building up to that and London was the first show of the tour mm-hmm. and I did it and I like put my name down it was like 27 you know, there's, tw- there's 26 people before me. Did you not pull, pull the, do you know who I am? No, absolutely <laughs> not. And then I think I put like my, my missed out my middle name, Rose, and just put Lucy Parton down. And then sat there from seven and I went up at half ten. So I'd seen all these other people play and watched all these other people. And then by the time it was my turn, I was like really like grateful that it was my turn to get up like I was mm-hmm. like wanting to play you know like I've sat and watched all these people and now you know I'm, I'm was, ready yeah I'm ready mm-hmm. to play my songs totally different to like and I thought oh god how terrible is it that I'm this I remember all of this feeling of waiting for my moment just to play an open mic and my my moment that people would watch me and wish you know what I mean wish that one day I'd be able to play Union Chapel with my fans and that day has come and I'm not even enjoying it because I'm such a moron (laughs) so that was kind of like what that reality check that I had how did the gig go it was great I mean we had this first thing where we started the whole thing started with like a long sort of piano instrumental thing that I play and then the bass just like wasn't working and Ben was just looking at me like scared like big wide eyes like yeah I don't it's know not what's working. Happening. My bass isn't working. Then I was like, "Fuck, we're gonna have to start a song." Um, and it was actually ended up being really funny, and it was really good because it just broke the ice. Really, broke it? the ice, and I was like, "Right, Ben." I was like, "Ben, I can see you're panicked, but there really is no need to be panicked because the worst has happened." So <laughs> we're fine. It's only up from here, baby. Exactly. Um, oh, my question is, your name is Lucy Rose Parton. Yeah. Did you not call it like Lucy Parton, Dolly Parton? Did you not like... like? Well, I thought pa- that was pa- the problem. Is it, I was going to say, like, did, did, was that like a... Yeah, it was definitely a, a, thought, a, thing a thought, like, oh. thought. We were like, going, I can't call myself Lucy Parton because people are going to think that I'm Dolly Parton's daughter or something. Exactly, yeah. Was that it? Yeah. So it was just Lucy Rose? Yeah, my full name's Lucy Rose Parton, and I just was like, Lucy Rose Parton, shall I just get rid of the Parton? Everyone will always talk about Dolly Parton, everyone will ask you if you're related in every interview. Yeah, yeah. Do I want that? Probably not. Um, so the, the, the Latin America tour, mm-hmm. do we call it a tour? Do you call it an experiment? What, 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 like, what, what, what is it? I mean, it? I guess I call it a tour, because I played gigs every night for got, eight weeks. You got big brass balls doing that. Like, I, I, don't, I, I could never go and do that because like you like explain for the uninitiated like what what it was well I guess that I was at sort of end of my second record and felt I think slightly compromised in ways as a musician that I'd made you know like I've mentioned already maybe in some bits of infiltrated in and maybe if I'd made some wrong decisions here and there and a bit lost of who I am sort of thing especially when it comes to music we're a bit lost and then I kind of just kept seeing on Twitter people saying, please come to Mexico, please come to Brazil. And <laughs> That's always the like one, that. isn't it? Come yeah, to Brazil. Come to Brazil. And my biggest like Spotify listenership was in countries in Latin America. And I was like, wow, I've never That's been crazy, there. Isn't I've it? Ne- yeah, I've never been there. And I've got these people, like my biggest listenership is over there. And so then I sort of, as a thing of like, oh, the touring was finished in, finished in the UK and Europe, and it's like end of the record campaign, and now you need to think about the next one. And I was just like, I don't think I'm ready to think about what's next at the moment because I felt so lost. I, like, I think I want to go and do some gigs in Latin America and tried to do it that way, and obviously it was like shut down on every, on every occasion that that was not possible and you can't do that and you mm-hmm. can't go to Latin America and play gigs and no one will book you and all those reasons. So then I was like, right, well, I'm going to go travelling. I've never been travelling and I know friends have had gap years and, you know, found time to go and 
do that whole traveling experience. That's what you're meant to do. You're meant to go and live your life, aren't you? Yeah, you're meant I'm to go gonna experience go things. Live my life for a bit and do some traveling. So then me and my husband like both wanted to just go to Latin America anyway. And then I just felt a bit guilty that I was going to be there and not play music. Like if I was in these towns that people have been tweeting me for, you know, years saying, I wish mm. you would come here. And I was there just not doing anything. I just felt a bit guilty. So that kind of was the reason why I put the post out saying, right, I'm going to do this traveling. If you do want me to come play in your town, if you can just put me up and find me somewhere to play, that has to be free entry. It's not being ticketed because I'm paying for this all myself pretty much. So I don't want anyone you know to have to lose money to come and see me play i'll be there um did you not think about like when well this is an opportunity for you to go and see these audience the, the, these fans and they'll obviously want to buy tickets to come see you because they're huge fans so like essentially you you paid to play for them which is incredibly noble well i was going to do it anyway i was going to go travel anyway mm. so it just felt like oh everything's such a business move and often with music like we all know that the big problem with or one of the big problems with the music industry is that it's profit-based and everything's about money. And if money had nothing to do with it, what would the music industry be like? If it had nothing to do with making money, probably very different. Mm. Um, And I just thought, I was going to spend this anyway, so why have I got to now think about them paying for my trip around Latin America? Mm -hmm. That was never the point of this, wasn't... So I get a free trip around America, like Latin America. Like, I was happy to pay for my flights. You know, they're already going to put me up, so my accommodation was covered you know so it it just felt like it would have been wrong to ticket what countries were you going to and where where were you playing we started (coughs) in ecuador went down peru chile argentina argentina then uruguay paraguay brazil and mexico oh my god like that's 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 i'm not gonna say all of them but that's that that's a big proportion of them yeah three quarters of it really I mean, it was amazing. Obviously, they had that sort of small documentary that we made, like 20-minute documentary, tells a really great story of what it was about. Um, but it was amazing. Got to see a lot of amazing things, meet a lot of great people. So when you come back from that that um, that trip, what does that sort of bring to you and bring to the table when it comes to, like, next moves? Well, next moves, it was it because every night, sort of, like, I was just there for them. It wasn't about me playing the set or the songs that I thought I wanted to play, it became like a Lucy Rose karaoke night, really, where it's like, play me a little bit, play that, play Shiver, play that, please play this, play Gamble, play this, play Nightbus, you know, play Nebraska. Like, it was really insightful to see which songs had mattered to people. Did it, did, did it follow a pattern? Like, the songs that people really liked? Did, did... Yeah, I felt like it followed a pattern. I don't know, it felt like, up until that point, like, songs like Shiver were the ones at that point where it was like, oh, that one's too sad, you can't play that one at a festival. Or should we play Shiver because it will bring, you know, everyone will start talking over it at gigs. And that was like a conversation that was had repeatedly within my band about whether that was like part of the set. Mm-hmm. And I think those that sort of made me lose direction because Shiver was my favourite song. And I just ended up not playing it thinking that no one wanted it because it was too sad. So I think the thing about doing that tour about Latin America is like that was the song that everybody wanted and everyone would sing to and everyone would cry to um and I guess that just gave me a different look on life and music which was you know I never wanted to become too self-indulgent but I guess it enabled me to become self-indulgent within my music because I am now I think it's all about me and how I feel and me exploring the depth of my own emotions. But that's that's what that's what it's meant to be, isn't it? Really, I but guess it, take, it take, is. Take, but it takes a while to get there. But I think it's seen as sometimes a bad thing, you know, like to be so self indulgent because it doesn't seem like a good quality. Um, but within music, I've decided for me that it is a good quality, like it is something that's important to me, and also that honesty to my fans, which isn't, uh, you know, it's the opposite of what we were talking about before. You've got mm. two choices, which is. I'm going to be the opposite of self-indulgent and fulfilling my own creative journey and void that I want to do. And I'm going to make music that I think lots of people are going to like and make them very happy. That's Mm. totally fine. But I decided that trip for me was a turning point, which was like, no, I'm going to express myself in the truest form that I possibly can with a music that I don't think, you know, probably a lot of people won't like. Um, But for the people that do and for, for the people I think are my fans, really, they will appreciate so um, it kind of enabled me to have the confidence to do that and become hopefully the artist that I'd, I'd you know, 
want to be. Do you feel closer to your fan base now because you're doing everything yourself? Like you're you're, you're a proper DIY now? To be honest, no. Um, <clears throat> I felt like after that third record, I felt really close to my fan base. I'd lived with them. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I was like living in their houses. Um, and I would spend hours after every gig talking to everybody at merch. And that was amazing. But I was exhausted. I was truly exhausted at a certain point, at a breaking point before this, making this fourth record, which is obviously a lot sadder. I, um, I was just exhausted. <clears throat> and um, and I, every part of my life was, was for the purpose of my music. And I didn't have anything left for me, you know. And I think meeting somebody and having a partner that, you know, their life is equally important as well. It was important for me to, like, I had never really prioritised myself or him or us or our lives outside of my own music. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that meant I had to take some of me back. And, I'd every, you know, my fans had every part of me. Yeah. And I did have to take some of me back. And that's kind of what I've done on this record. And it kind of breaks my heart a bit because I don't know if it's the right decision or not. But you'll like the thing about it is you'll you'll know in time yeah. whether it was. I mean I've just stayed off social media. I've not gone out and spent <coughs> two hours a night talking to people, but when I do leave the venue once we've packed up, of course if anyone's waiting at the car or anything I'd love to chat to them. I just haven't put myself out there. Is, is that not exhausting in it in itself? Like cause with the type of music that you make and how how it touches your fans it means that they maybe they may could could maybe be very intense like because like they've got an intense love for you and your music which means i love the intensity for me but but like that means that they can maybe share things with you that might be a little bit heavier like you're coming you're coming off a show and you're in a really good mood and you're going out and you're meeting people and and chatting to them and all the rest and then somebody will share something from the depths of their soul that they Mm -hmm. they might not have told anybody else like about themselves or some secrets or family stuff mm-hmm. or whatever. And then, like, you know, that's a real conflict of emotion where you're on a high and then you're brought down there. Like, is that... I, like I'm, for, not, I'm never really on that much of a high after <laughs> a gig, to mm. be honest. I'm already there, really, on, on, like, a pensive, deeply sort of emotional sense. I'm not really, like, buzzing on a, yay, that was really happy. I was really happy yeah. doing that. Because, to be honest, at the moment when I'm performing live... I, don't, I question a lot whether I am even happy doing it because it's so intense. You know, it's not like mm. everyone's jumping up and down, you know. It's like it's really the word happy and what I do don't really go coincide and that's really complicated as well, mm-hmm. part, of, a part of it all. Um, when people share, no, I, I love the intensity. I love the openness. Like any, for me, anything with, with depth I am into. Um, it's just the quantity is what's too difficult to do. You know, like two hours three hours and then it's just it's just like the quantity is too too much i'm too like i, I know personally like i i'd be i'd be way too sensitive for that sort of stuff like when when somebody tells me something awful or, or and confides me in something i kind of feel like i latch on to what they're feeling and it gets re- oh, yeah. it gets really heavy. like an empath <laughs> yeah i mean i'm the same i mean i've cried a lot you know with with fans telling me what they've gone through and why certain songs I've cried mm-hmm. a lot um however from someone that has gone through things as well like we all have somehow for me it feels like it's shameful that like you don't talk about it because it's going to make other people sad and you bottle it all up inside you mm. and I am definitely one of those people that I'd much rather they come and talk to me and tell me yeah, and yeah. be able to like talk about it without feeling guilty they've got nothing to feel guilty about like the way I process it is my own thing. Like if I want to pretend that I'm the world's a beautiful place with nothing bad and people don't grieve, and then that conversation's bringing me down, that I feel like that's my own issue in a way. Yeah. Whereas like to be able to process complex and difficult stories is part of what what the sort of human that I want to be able to be to be able to do that. It's crazy though, like because like you, when you start out writing like strumming a couple of chords, you don't really think of it the pastoral care and and the uh, and the the human connection 
in, in Never, on, no. on that level you just you start out to, you start out to do one thing and, and it becomes something very different and some people yeah. are able to deal with that and some people aren't some like I, I i would never um i'd never beget anybody the fact that they maybe don't come out and do two hours chatting to their fans do you know like some some people just don't some, i feel so guilty some people i feel don't so have, terrible at the moment that i'm not doing like, it like I, I feel like if you if you're that sort of person and, and can do it brilliant like even better for the fans but if you're not like that's not your job either your job is to be, really be, be a musician and be an artist it's not to be a like you just got to find your own limits I guess, don't you? You know? like you said yeah well i mean it's, it's it's different with uh with um every other sort of people so i like i, I absolutely adore paul weller and you mm-hmm. and paul weller seems to be like your number one fan He's amazing, yeah. I mean, I'm very lucky that he has somehow paid attention to my music and enjoyed it and supported me through it. Um, and then being able to tour with him and sing on his last album was brilliant. I, yeah, I could just I could spend a lot of time talking about how important his support is. I mean, my last record, he sent me hilarious texts being like, Lucy, I just listened to your new record. It's very down. I thought you'd be happier now you're married. <laughs> that's it like, it's, it's good good to have like uncle paul there you yeah, know, for, for, for an alternative view really enjoyed it <laughs> before as well we were doing some rehearsing for like a john martin tribute night we were doing yeah and i was like i've got fretless bass on the on the album he was like what, what? Why? Yeah. yeah like i, I read you that just actually. like why are you doing that and i was like i love it and he was like no that's not for me yeah like i, I love his honesty isn't that you think that we actually would like pay these seagulls just everyone as, should move to Brighton as Atmos. That's what me and Phil yeah. think. From yeah, we, we both live here now. We both live here now. Are we gonna go for pints? Yeah, hundred percent. I need I friends. Mean, That's the problem. Moving I need somewhere. Too, I need yeah. friends. It's Wednesday and it's twelve thirty-four. We probably shouldn't go for pints now, but we shall. Some well, at time. some point, Finally over, and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports, and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part! So, whether there's a day, week, or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet, full terms apply. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 